Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Welcome back to the South End Zone Podcast here on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jason. I'm here with Eric. Timmy's still out of pocket for a few more weeks. Uh, we hope he gets back soon. Eric, what's going on, man? Uh, not much new. Same same story as last week, just uh, getting by day to day. I'm happy. Thankfully, this week we have baseball back, so I got something else to pay attention to since there's no college football games. <sighs> well, I was happy about baseball being back until today. And, yeah, uh, I know. Oh, man. Just been gutted. Been gutted. Just had my guts ripped out. Freddie Freeman will not be a Brave anymore, for those of you who haven't heard and follow baseball. But this week, we were, for our listeners, this week we were going to do our Fall from Grace, you know, part due. And we were going to include Nebraska and Texas. And Eric, I... I I mean, conversations off air that we've had, like, I feel like it's 15 minutes of my life I'm never going to get back looking into Texas because where did this idea come from that they're like a blue blood program? Uh, would, would they be someone that you would think would know anything? Well, it came from me. Um, but, <laughs> it came, it but came now, from you? Now, that, that idea kind of worked its way into my head because they've been, you know, one of the more, I guess, prominent Maybe it's the right, you know, reputation wise. And I think that maybe has more to do with their large fan following than their, their on field results. I mean, they have a huge fan following and they have, you know, very dedicated and passionate fans, you know, like, like you had mentioned this afternoon, you know, you get 10 or 15 minutes into it and you, you kind of quickly realize that uh, historically that program, they're really not in the same category as these other schools we're talking about in terms of having like a real sustained long period of, of, excellence or even just a really high peak over a shorter period of time, like, uh, you know, like late eighties, early nineties, Miami. And they really just, I don't know if overrated is the right word, but, um, kind of their, their reputation or what people perceive Texas as really doesn't match the results outside of a handful of Mac Brown years, you know, since like the mid seventies. Yeah. And that's what I really just discovered. I started looking at their records like by year, you know, and all the way back to the 1920s. And they're just not an elite program. They're not like, I don't give a damn how much money they have. Like, yeah, they've got more. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, in the group, like in the group chat today, you said they've got more money than God and they do. But outside of from 2001 to 2009, they've been Thoroughly average. Yeah. Yeah. Just average. 
Like they sprinkle in a double digit win season here and there, but they've got three undefeated seasons in their history. Like in their history. I don't know where this idea, whether they're ESPN darlings or whoever, maybe some big oil tycoon is paying ESPN a bunch of money to consider them a blue blood program, but they're just not. So I don't really have anything else to say about them. Like, don't come at me, Texas fans, because your school is not what the media portrays it to be. They're just not. They suck. We suck. They had some good years under Mac Brown. They won a championship, lost another. So that's why we're not including them on this show. Any other comments about Texas, Eric? Well, to do kind of a, a mini fall from grace, even though you know you can make a really compelling argument that they they were never like at grace to fall from. But you know, as far as you know, when we talk about these teams, and we talk about you know, is there a way back to the top? You know, can they, can they kind of recover and be what they used to be? And in Texas' case, it's really the question is, can they be what they want to be, right, or what their fans expect them to be? And the more you look at it the the more you think they have no reason to not like it's actually kind of confusing like how they're you know seven five eight and four every year how they consistently spend the most money on their college football program yeah. out of any school like they they have they have money coming out of every hole they're in texas i mean they they have five stars just out wandering the streets like they should be <laughs> i don't know how they don't dominate the big 12 like I, on a year in year out basis they they have everything everything is lined up you know resource wise for them i guess it's just a matter of of getting the right guy but the pro- part of the problem is like even if you're the right guy you know you get you get 2 years and that's it well you look at tom herman look at his tenure there he goes 7 and 6 10 and 4 8 and 5 7 and 3 and then they fire him i want winners and it, they play a total of 10 games they win 7 of them and they just can him they did the same thing with Mac Brown. They canned him after an eight and five season. You know, Charlie Strong getting fired. I fully understand that. It was three yeah, losing no, seasons. I get, yeah, I get it. You know, yeah, yeah he deserves yeah, to be canned. I don't think he ever canned. had a winning season, right? No, six and seven and two five and sevens. So I, I understood that firing. It's the same thing as Miami to me. The administration, the boosters, which is the main problem, are not on the same page as the athletic department. And I don't, you figure everybody in Texas would want to. Yeah. Part of me almost thinks like, Part of the problem is like they have too much money. And by that, I mean, they have too many people with money who want to be like the head shot caller and they're, and that rope is getting pulled in too many different directions. To put a pin in this discussion, Texas, not a blue blood program. So come at me if you want Texas fans and I'll feel free to present you with some facts on why you're not a blue blood program. Yeah. That, anyone, anyone who's tuning in because we said we were talking about Texas. Hey, Sorry. A, that we're not talking about Texas after all, and B, sorry that if I was a Texas fan, I would be pissed because there's no reason those that they don't win double digits games every year and compete for the playoff every year. It's all yeah. right there for them. Yeah, it's kind of the same thing as uh, a team that I'm going to talk about later on in this program. Yeah, which, yeah. The, the team we're replacing them with uh, has, is yeah. equally perplexing. Yes, however, they do have a storied history. But uh, before I get to them, I'm going to start us off, Eric. I'm going to, I'm going to, we're going to run through this, uh, this first team, which is the Nebraska Cornhuskers. So mm-hmm. I honestly didn't do any research on them. I didn't look into their history because I'd kind of, you know, I know, I guess the last dominant period would have been when I was probably around junior high time frame, really when I started getting into college football. So they were yeah, good mid, when I started 90s. watching it. Yeah. Mid 90s. Yep. 
So take us through. We, we're going to do it just like we did last week for our listeners. You know, a little historical summary, some national championship numbers, that kind of stuff. Most recent period of play that was, you know, that we would consider elite and then sort of the downfall contributing factors and then how far it's become and can they make it back? So take us through it, Eric. Okay, so uh, Nebraska nine oh eight four oh nine and forty all time. So they've uh, you know they won not quite I guess a little more than two thirds of their their games all time. Uh, five national championships, all of which have come since nineteen seventy, and forty six conference titles. So <laughs> Nebraska really became Nebraska kind of as people my age knew them in the late late sixties. Uh, a guy named Bob Devaney was their coach. He was there for ten years, eight of which he finished in the top six. Uh, so he left after 10 years, uh, 62 to 71. He was 101 wins, 20 losses, two ties. And in 1969, he hired a new offensive coordinator named Tom Osborne. Uh, so they won back to back 1970 and 71. Uh, Bob Devaney, last three years, 33, two and two, won three Orange Bowls. Uh, he retires, turns over to Tom Osborne, who starts in 1973. Uh, and in 25 years, so 1973 to 1997, he went 255 and 49. He <laughs> never, God. he never, and this, this actually is part of a larger stat that really blew my mind, but Tom Osborne never won fewer than nine games. Are you kidding me? Jesus Christ. And how many years was he head coach? 25. 25 and never went under nine. <laughs> Damn, man. Yeah. Now, Good Nebraska... Great. When, and we'll get to Frank Solich in a couple of minutes, but between uh, Bob Devaney, Tom Osborne, and Frank Solich, Nebraska won nine-plus games every year from 1969 to 2002. They are who we thought they were. So, uh, you know, we talked about uh, last week Florida State, how they had the uh, 41 straight winning seasons, right? So we mm-hmm. talked about the sustained period of excellence and that really high peak they had. Now, Tom, I would say Nebraska's real peak was the – tail end of the Tom Osborne era. So his last five years, 60 and three with five, uh, three national titles. Last five seasons. That was, so, that, that was what? 90? 93 to 97. 93 to 97. Okay. <sighs> yeah. That's when I really started paying attention to college football. You know, I, I would have been about mm, probably 10, 11 years fifth, old there. Yeah. Fifth, sixth grade probably by then. Yeah. That, uh, and I remember, I mean, I grew up, uh, my hometown, the the southern city limit, is the Missouri River, and once you get halfway across the Missouri River, you're in Nebraska, right? So I'm I'm like I'm right there, and kind of where and when I grew up, I have dozens and dozens of Nebraska friends, and you know, so I, I was never a Nebraska fan. Um, I was never a big you know I formation option guy. I didn't find it all that interesting, but I did pay attention to them, right? Because they're they're right there. Lincoln's like probably three hours from when I grew up. They're they're on TV every weekend. So I, I knew exactly how good they were, but phew, man. Uh, so yeah, three national yeah, titles they, last year. They were years. what Alabama is today. They were for for most of the mid-90s. Um, so Tom Osborne retires and turns it over to Frank Solich, who was there for six seasons, 98 to 03. So, and he did well, 58 and 19, three top 10 finishes. So... <laughs> You know, yeah, it's a step down from 60 and three, but yeah, yeah, certainly respectable though. Yeah. Like most places, 58 and 19 will not get you fired off it coming off of a nine and three season. And at Nebraska, it, it did went, went nine and three in 2003 and got fired. And then this is where it really, to me, one of the big reasons and, and really kind of where it went south for them was they hired a guy who had just been fired by the 
at the time, Los Angeles Raiders, Bill Callahan, the season after he lost the Super Bowl. Who was the quarterback's coach for Bill Callahan? That would be our very own James Harbaugh. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, what did we say, one or two years he was a quarterback coach when they went to the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. Now, yeah. one of Bill Callahan's starting quarterbacks was a guy named Zach Taylor, oh. who is now coach of the Bengals. But uh, since we're on the subject of, of coaches who lost the Super Bowl. Um, so Bill Callahan comes in and okay, he's going to install, he's going to modernize them, right? He's going to install the West Coast offense. And personnel wise, I think going from a team that's based on, you know, eye formation, smash mouth option, running attack personnel, right? That, that type of guys you build that sort of team with and then say, I'm going to put in more of a, a West Coast offense. There's going to be an adjustment period. And, you know, and they had one. He, they weren't terrible. I mean, they're, he was 22 and 15 his first three years. Mm, pretty mediocre. Pretty mediocre. And that's really not what, you know, Nebraska is looking for after the 30, you know, the previous 30 years that they'd had. Right. Um, year four, they get off to a decent start, but he lost six of his last seven games. Oh. And in five of those, they allowed 35 plus, um, five out of those, including a 76 39 loss to, excuse me, Kansas. 76 to 39. You kidding me? Yeah, to Kansas. Uh, and they lost to Colorado 65 to 51. Uh, not good enough for Nebraska. So they hire LSU's defensive coordinator, a guy named Bo Pelini. <laughs> Pelini. I remember and, this hire. And on now, I didn't realize this until I really kind of looked at the Bo Pelini years. On field, they were a lot better than I remember. He was there for seven years and they won nine plus games every, every season. So he was 67 and 27. So pretty good. Um, but he was three and three in bowl games and they weren't the bowl games that Nebraska wants to play in. They were the Gator Bowl, the Capital One Bowl, the Holiday Bowl. So it really, he improved them, but you know, he just never got over the hump. Now he won a lot of games. He just never run one, you know, the right games for them now did didn't am i crazy didn't they trans or didn't they move to the big 10 under bo pelini they did yeah uh, okay. about halfway through his his tenure um they shifted out of the big 12 into the big 10 which okay i think it did not help them yeah, yeah that's what i was kind of getting at it's like they didn't <laughs> you know, he had it pretty easy in the Big 12 North. I mean, yeah, they did have to deal with, yes. uh, you know, Oklahoma at the time, I think, was still in the North. Am I crazy? It was Oklahoma and Oklahoma State in the North, right? When they had North and South, yeah, I think Oklahoma, because it was all the Texas schools and then everybody else, basically. I mean, I know they went, didn't they go to a Big 12 championship that year when they had uh, Sue and... Yeah, I think they went to one and lost. And they lost to Texas, yeah. So yeah, in a close, I think they lost like thirteen ten or something to Texas. Yeah, they lost years. by a field goal, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I mean, it wasn't like terrible, but I don't think they really did Pelini any favors by sticking them in the Big Ten with Ohio State and all those guys. So. Right, and that's part of. I think that's did you know they were kind of on the the downward trend already at that point, right after the Callahan years. I think shifting from the Big Twelve to the Big Ten kind of gave them a little bit of a nudge because instead of you know, Kansas, Iowa State, uh, you know, TCU. Now you're talking Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State, Iowa. And, you know, it's a little more daunting. So that did not help. But um, the other thing that didn't help was Bull Pelini. Um, I don't know if you knew this about him, but he is a little bit high strung. 
Well, I know he's, uh, you know, and he can. He was always quite the can, character on the sideline, you know. Yeah, and he he was maybe a little much for them, <laughs> right? Because you look at the guys they had before. You know, Tom Osborne, not a real fiery, demonstrative guy. Frank Solich, same thing, right? The, there's two guys who had kind of like the temperament of Mac Brown, and then you're talking about you know Bo Pelini, who yeah. He's in that must champ mold, the fiery right. guy, you know. Yeah. So I don't know, you know, personality, I don't know if he was really a great fit for them. Uh, he's certainly not what they're used to. So there's an element of he wore out his welcome personality wise. Um, you know, like I said, he, he didn't win the right games. You know, he, he won a lot of the games he was supposed to win. Not many of the ones that, you know, kind of 50-50 games or even the ones they shouldn't have won. So they, they let him go. Um, there was even a recording that kind of got leaked at some point where he, he was just going off on the fans, you know, <laughs> just this expletive filled tirade about uh, just, you know, how terrible the fans were. Uh, didn't help his cause because that is a, that is another large passionate fan base. Oh yeah. I mean, they, they sell, I think, don't they hold some kind of record for the most consecutive games sold out or something? Well, I know they did. And I believe that is still going. I'm not sure if that, if that, uh, in the last couple of years that we'll talk about here in a sec, if that streak ended. But yeah, it's, I mean, Memorial Stadium packed week in and week out for half a century. So they let Bo Pelini go and they hire Mike Riley from Oregon State. Uh, he went 19 and 19 in three years, totally forgettable and irrelevant. We can move on from him. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what they did. And when they moved on from him, they hired former Nebraska quarterback and a coach coming off a undefeated season at UCF, a, I'm doing air quotes here, national championship season at UCF, uh, Scott Frost. Now, as far as, you know, is there way back for them? Um, I, I know a lot of people who are not going to like my answer, but I don't see it. Um, when we talk about, you know, what a team has to do to be a, perennial or near perennial contender i don't see nebraska being able to do any of those things as far as really and really it centers around recruiting and that's one of the things i think that contributed to kind of their downslide was the internet basically you know <laughs> start towards the end of the the frank solich years you know t- 25 years ago when tom osborne was just wrecking people recruiting was almost entirely regional you know, you weren't pulling kids from California and Texas as Florida. It was really, it was kids who played high school within, you know, maybe a six or eight hour drive of you. Yeah. Cause I mean, there, there was no, there was no Twitter. There was no way to reach recruits. Right. Yeah. There was no Twitter. There's no max preps. There was no rivals. There was no yeah. huddle. There was no anything. And it was, you're just kind of, you were networked with high school coaches in a certain mile radius, you know, and back then in the eighties and nineties. Um, I think Nebraska probably was ahead of the curve as far as like strength and conditioning. And they did a really good job of developing guys. Well, it was also a different time too. You know, I mean, they were running the freaking Maryland eye and the triple option. And you can do that with, you know, big, huge corn fed kids from Nebraska. But when you try to install a West coast offense and you need, you know, athletes that run a four or three, you're not going to find many of those in Nebraska. <laughs> it's, right. It's just now, and, just and the way they it were is. back in the day. Yeah. Back in the day, they were able to pull all the best players from 
Minnesota and Iowa and the Dakotas and Wyoming and Colorado and Kansas and, you know, most of Missouri, um, just because of who they were. But, you know, once other schools got kind of that door opened up to them where, well, I don't have to recruit just Alabama, just Georgia or just Florida. I can go get this kid from Southern California. I can go get this kid from D.C. I can go get this kid from Houston. Or if you're Ohio State, I can go to Nebraska and pull this kid now. Yes. So they're going to have to do a lot. Um, and they have been uh, this year. But, you know, for, for I looked at about the last decade and they're typically in the in the 20s, right? National recruiting ranking. They're for most of the last 10 years, they've been between about 20 and 32 and like fourth or fifth in the Big Ten. So that's fairly respectable. That's not going to get you to the playoff. Uh, playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. But this past, you know, this current current class, the 2022 class, they were 40th or 41st. And a lot of that has to do, I think, with the uncertainty of the future of the coaching staff, like we've seen before with other schools. But um, they're going to have to recruit a lot better. And I don't know that you can do that. No, and, no. You know, if, if they were still in the Big 12, I would say they have a chance, uh, especially with Texas and Oklahoma leaving where suddenly you could talk yourself into, well, you know, make a few tweaks here and improve that. And then, you know, yeah, they can win double digit games most years in the big 12 and, and have a shot to win a, you know, be a, a power five champion and get into a playoff. But man, in the big, tw- in the big 10, rather, when you're talking about, you know, it just, it feels to me like their ceiling is Iowa. Yeah. Relatively the same, same division, same kind of feel to it. You know, it's like it, <laughs> I almost feel like Nebraska fans sort of need to, because they don't come at me, Nebraska fans, but they, man, it seems like they're just like a, they're just like Tennessee. They're like a delusional fan base that thinks they should be a national power every year because they were at one point in history. And Mm -hmm. that's just not how it is. (laughs) It's like they don't have the facilities. They don't have the recruiting. They don't have any five stars sitting in their backyard. They don't have the money to go and pay coaches $10 million a year. At least they might, but they're not going to do that. And I mean, that's kind of what you have to do. You have to have elite facilities, like we've said, pay big-time coaches, big-time money in Nebraska. I'm with you. I just don't think. That's how you get the big-time players, yeah. And I just don't. And I'm with you. I don't see a way back either. I, I think... The days of Nebraska being a blue blood or, you know, I think they've come and gone and I don't think they're ever going to get back, you know, yeah, not with I, the current. I tend to agree. Not, not unless something changes, you know, not in this format that we have in college football now. I mean, NIL might help make them some ground up, you know, they might make up a little bit of ground with that, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I just but that's don't a see long it, road. I mean, yeah. you're talking, I mean, they were three and nine and I think there's a little, you know, there can be some reason for optimism that they will be better than three and nine next year. But boy, if they don't win seven games, he's done. Yeah. Flat out. Yeah. And then then you're like, okay, well, now we're starting over. And then I would say mid season, if they have a losing record, he's gone. Like, I don't, I don't see him making it through the year if he's not doing well. Um, yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on when he wins and loses. Which, I mean, last year is kind of an outlier because he, (laughs) yeah, they did lose nine games, but they lost eight of them by like a touchdown or less. So it's like, ah, damn, Uh man, you're right on the cusp of like being a 500 team or something. But Right. And those were good (laughs) teams that they lost to by, I mean. 
they did have a brutal they did have a brutal schedule. I will say they that. Did. It was one of the tougher yeah. schedules in the country. If looking back at their season, if they had just if their special teams had been simply like mediocre to a slightly above average versus tragic, like that that's <laughs> that's two wins for them right there. Yeah. You know, you're talking about, you know, you you give a punt return touchdown towards the end of regulation to let Michigan State tie it. Um, the Oklahoma game, they lost by seven or eight points. They missed a field goal. They had an extra point blocked and returned for two. The Iowa game was a special <sighs> teams disaster. They yeah. had, I believe they had a pump blocked for either a safety or a touchdown. And it's just, you know, just, just that would go a long ways. I mean, they've got to find a quarterback. If they can find a quarterback, mm-hmm. they can probably make a little noise. I mean, that's really what it's all about. You'd think. Scott Frost probably thinks, fuck, I probably should have stayed at UCF because shit, they're about to join the Big 12 now. And, you know, yeah. that'd probably be in a lot better spot. But maybe. Uh, so, I, I, like, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they went eight and four this season. I really wouldn't because they were maybe the best three and nine team I've ever seen. When you're talking about the, the one score games they lost and who they lost those to, right? Michigan, who went to the playoff, Michigan State, who won 10 games and beat Michigan. Uh, Ohio State, I think they were down by six or seven until about a minute left, and Ohio State kicked a field goal. They lost one score game to Oklahoma, who was won 11 games. Um, they had a chance at the very end to beat Wisconsin. They were they were leading Iowa uh, in the fourth quarter. I mean, they had, you know, they just got to get out of their own way. But I, I could see, a, you know, I can envision a scenario where they put some things together and improve incrementally in a couple different aspects, and suddenly... You know, they win seven or eight games, but I could also see them winning four. So time will tell, but I don't see them winning 10, 11, 12 on a real consistent basis either. So as far no, as a way back to no. the top, I, I, I can't make myself see it. Yeah, no, unfortunately I, I do agree with you. And I think it's, uh, I think those days are gone, man. It's just, it is what it is. I think if they, I'm sure a lot of them have Nebraska fans, you know, they just kind of need to adjust their expectations, man. Like, you know, hope for the occasional conference title bid. And, you know, that's, that's really about it. Like you said, Iowa, like that's yeah, their ceiling. I, I think they can get to, I think they, it's a realistic uh, goal for them to work their way towards being what Iowa is now. So you know, consistent eight, nine, maybe 10 wins. And maybe every, every other year or every three years play for, play for the big 10 title. Which is but funny that, because under Bo Pelini, that's what they were. They were Iowa. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And if he, if he was just a little bit less grading, um, maybe he'd have gotten there. If he'd gotten another year, you know, who knows what, what would have happened um, instead Damn. of the, the Mike Riley era. Yeah. So Nebraska fans, a lot of whom I call friends, I, I feel bad for you guys, but you might need to dial down the the hopes and dreams. Yeah. It's, and that's, what's funny. You know, people talk about Miami, like it's like we talked about them last week. People talk about Miami, like they're one of the most storied programs in college football history. And, you know, arguably they are, but Nebraska, their history is no less storied and impressive. And they don't get anywhere near the kind of clout that Miami gets. If Miami even has a nine and three season, it's like, oh shit, Miami's back. But if Nebraska mm-hmm. has a nine and three season, it's like, who fucking cares? I, I don't, it's weird, man. Yeah. I don't, some of it may be just Nebraska's real run of excellence is a little less recent than some of these other teams. 
but yeah, I, they've won nothing of consequence this century, basically. Man, that's interesting. I can't. <laughs> it's pretty crazy, but sadly enough, they're not going to make it back. I don't think. I think we're both on the same page there. So, uh, before I move into the next segment, do we uh, have anything else on Nebraska? No, I think we got it all. All right. Well, then I'm going to take a quick second and tell our uh, listeners about our corporate sponsor, which is DraftKings Sportsbook. So if we've got any fans that are listeners, you guys can join in on the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Uh, If you're a new customer, you can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in free prizes. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TPPN. That is the Pigskin Podcast Network acronym. Bet just $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with the promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Restrictions apply. And check out our show notes for the details. All right. Well, that was was a mouthful. I'll give you a second to catch your breath before we move into kind of your segment on this show. Um, like we said earlier, we were going to talk about Texas and they Longhorn nation. We're back. They might've thought they were back a couple years ago, but they're not. And <laughs> no, we're not sure not what they were back from. So uh, another team that is kind of, I think most college football fans would tell you has been a sort of perpetual underachiever, maybe the last, I don't know, 15 years or so, but they did have pretty dominant peak in the not too distant past, and that is the Trojans of Southern California. So, Jason, what do you got on these guys? Oh, man. Well, this was definitely more interesting than doing the Miami research, because if you just look at, you know, I know they've been like kind of recently, just before I get into this, like recently they've been, they've had some down seasons and some mediocre seasons, and there's not a whole lot of that this century. Okay. Like, To put it in perspective, they've had two losing seasons this century. Okay. So four and eight this past year, and they went five and seven in 2000. So outside of that, they've had a winning season every year. And, you know, well, I'll get into, you know, their record year by year a little bit more as we go. But so looking at historical summaries, I'm not going to go any further back than like really the, I guess, like 1960 or so. From 1960 to 1975, John McKay was their head coach, and the Trojan Empire was in full effect during those 15 seasons. He was, you know, very dominant. Uh, they went 127 and 40 under McKay. Uh, they won four national titles. So McKay leaves after 1975. Okay, so they go 127 and 40, win four titles in his tenure. They're dominant, and then they have. Two elite seasons in 1978 and 1979. They won the title in 78. 1979, they actually went undefeated, and you know, but they don't claim a national title there. Don't really understand that. And that was under John Robinson, is who succeeded uh, John McKay. So really dominant in the 60s and 70s. They won five national titles in that time frame. So really, really impressive run for USC. They were a straight juggernaut back then. And notable historical moment. Uh, interesting story, and this applies a little bit to me because I'm an Alabama fan. Uh, notable historical moment, September 1970, when John McKay was the head coach. Uh, USC, in their opener in 1970, visits Alabama. Bear Bryant was the head coach. Okay, 
So USC at this time is fully integrated, right? So California way ahead of the curve in that department compared to Alabama in 1970, which had an all white football team, right? So USC goes down there in the opener and dominates Alabama 42 to 21, just crushed them. So for you history buffs, a lot of, a lot of people think this is really the game that kind of sped up racial integration at the university of Alabama and some other places in, you know, the deep South back then, as like I said, USC was already fully integrated in 1970 and word has it, you know, based on what a lot of people have written is that bear Bryant after this game sort of went to the administration in Alabama and started lobbying for integration in their football program, which the following season did happen. Alabama got its first black player in 1971. So fun fact there. Thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I've, I've actually heard not necessarily that specific story. I've, I've heard that kind of anecdote before about how, and I don't know that I ever heard it was USC, but how you know, Alabama played a game, uh, a home game against some other team that, that was fully integrated and they just got demolished. And, and that was kind of like the catalyst for them maybe accelerating what, what they wouldn't have done otherwise as far as yep. integrating yep. their university. Yep. That was this game. A lot of people believe that's what accelerated the integration in their athletics program, which like I said, the following season, I just thought that was pretty interesting. But so after the 79 season, when John Robinson went undefeated uh, from 1980 to 2000, they just were completely irrelevant. They yep. had one double digit win season between 1980 and 2000. But during, towards the back end of that irrelevance, about 1993, a guy named Mike Garrett, who is in the College Football Hall of Fame, he was a running back, takes over as the athletic director in 93. So after a few so-so seasons, he goes, and who does he hire in 2001? Pete Carroll. And I would say such begins like the, the probably the second rise of the Trojan Empire. Yeah, and it's, it's weird. Sorry to interrupt, but it, it's kind of strange because at the time, Pete Carroll was kind of looked at as you know a failed NFL head coach and yes. a lifetime assistant. Yes. And like if Twitter had existed in 2001, this, I, I can only imagine what the reaction would have been like in real time, uh, hiring Pete Carroll with kind of how he was looked at then. Like it, it would yeah. not have been positive. No. It, and it was not positive. It was large. It was reviewed pretty much negatively by most of the fan base. A lot of the administration was torn on it as well. Like that's something I really noticed in reading into this was not everybody was on board with Mike Garrett hiring Pete Carroll. So it was a controversial hire, but ultimately his impact was like pretty much immediate. They they went six and six in his first year in 01, but then from 02 to 09, Carroll went 91 and 13. Okay. Good Lord. He won, yeah. So 2003, they lose one game, claim a shared national title with LSU. They claim the AP title in 2003, but, you know, they didn't win the BCS title. So I don't count it as a championship. But regardless, really good season in 2003. Then they come out in 2004 go undefeated, win the championship, completely and utterly dominate everybody. <laughs> so 05, the dominance continues, and then they go on to play Texas in the 05 BCS title game, a game that I would argue probably one of the top five football games I've ever watched. I mean, would you disagree with that? No, that's, that's absolutely my top five. Yeah, that was the Vince Young, Reggie Bush. Like, it was just a, God, God it was a great game. <laughs> great game to watch. There was NFL yeah, guys all over the field. So. 
All right. So after 05, uh, this is 06, 07, 08. They win at least 11 games a year. Okay. So they're just still crushing people. They're just not winning championships. Then in 2009, Carroll goes nine and four. And there's a lot of rumblings. You know, Mark Sanchez is leaving early for the NFL. You know, there's just a lot of, you know, bad shit going on. And then all of a sudden the news breaks that, oh, fuck, Reggie Bush scandal. Remember the Reggie Bush scandal where he allegedly accepts over $100,000 in illegal benefits through a sports agent. They're making weekly payments of thousands of dollars to his family, all of that kind of stuff. all, All that shit. Yep. So Carol ejects and takes a show cause penalty and takes a job in the NFL. So he leaves, goes to the Seahawks. And when all the details come out about the Reggie Bush scandal, the NCAA effectively hands him a death penalty. I mean, it wasn't the death pretty, penalty. Pretty close, but they, yeah. Yeah, it, they dropped the fucking hammer on him, man. They they took 30 scholarships from him over three seasons and gave him a two-year postseason ban. <laughs> like, just 30 scholarships. I mean, just, oh, man. There's been a lot of sports writers that have come out and said, like, that was absolutely way too much. Like, it was a super harsh penalty. And, you know, the NCAA, like, won't even revisit it. Like, you know, they're just like, well, that's over and done with. So they hand them all, like I said, all those sanctions. And then uh, Mike Mike Garrett gets ultimately gets fired over the scandal. And he gets replaced by a guy named Pat Hayden. So Pat Hayden yep. takes over uh, as athletic director in 2010. And who does he hire to be his head coach? Lane My Kiffin. man. Yeah, yep. your man. <laughs> Lane Train Kiffin. Hires him away from Tennessee, where he had been for just one season. So Kiffin takes over in 2010. Now, Kiffin was interviewed about this, and I'm not going to dive into Kiffin too deep because we are going to do a profile on him later uh, in the offseason. So I'm not going to dive too deep into this. But Kiffin was interviewed about this later, and he said when he took that job, everybody at USC and all his yeah, team and everything really was telling him, him. Yes, they, they really misled him with what the sanctions were going to be. So, so Kiffin takes this job in 2010. All right. In three seasons, mind you, he had a 28 and 15 record. All right. So not terrible. Right. And his recruiting classes at USC were ranked third, eighth and 12th, respectively. You kidding me? And he did all that with a loss of 30 scholarships over those three seasons and a two year postseason ban from the regime that, you know, came before him. So ultimately. I would say Kiffin got screwed and didn't really get a fair shake, you know, didn't get really uh, graded on what I guess he would call a fair scale. And, you know, that that's really all I'm going to go over about Kiffin. He just, he he really got, they, they did him dirty and they fired him on the tarmac, mm-hmm. you know, and it totally blindsided him. So it was after a loss to Arizona State. It was a really like, really controversial firing. So, and like I said, they didn't have a losing season under him. I mean, it was a winning season, but kind of the same thing as Nebraska. Like, you know, we're, it's just, it's not up to our standards. You got to go, you know, so had some big shoes to fill after Pete Carroll, but nobody was talking about the sanctions like, oh, well, Kiffin's eight and five. Well, no shit. They've, you know, they're lost 30 scholarships. I mean, what do you expect? You know, the fact that he brought in the third rank recruiting class, the eighth and the 12th, to me, that's really fucking impressive considering, but either way, Kiffin gets fired and the 2013 season, Ed Orgeron takes over, coaches the last six games. And then 2013, Pat Hayden hires Steve Sarkeesian 
from Washington, hires him away mm-hmm. from Washington, brings him back to USC. He was the OC there under Carroll. Yeah, he was an assistant during the Carroll years. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So they bring him back and he basically really doesn't do much, doesn't have much success there. They have two so or a so-so season in 2014. And then in 2015, about four or five games into the season, he shows up to a pre-practice meeting drunk. Long story short, it's discovered that he has an alcohol problem, and so they put him on administrative leave and ultimately cut him loose. So now they've, you know, every year since 2008, they've had so-so seasons, you know, if you will. And here we are, it's 2015, and we've just fired our second coach because of, you know, all field In three years, yeah. Yeah, in three years. So then they... (laughs) Inexplicably, they give the job to Clay Hilton, and this is the one that just kind of baffles me. I, I, I don't understand it. And so Pat Hayden hires Clay Hilton, gives him the job, and then three years later, he retires, and Lynn Swan takes over as athletic oh, director. Yeah. And so now you've got a terrible athletic director, a terrible head coach, and so Swan is there from sixteen to nineteen. And I mean, we all know the story on Clay Hilton, so I'm not going to dive into that, really. It's just been utterly average, pretty much average recruiting classes. He did bring in one decent recruiting class while he was there, but ultimately just yeah. mediocre, mediocrity. And it's, there's well, really nothing yeah, overall, else you can say about it. Overall, pretty mediocre. I mean, he so he coached like the second half or maybe even the majority of the 2015 season as the interim, right? Because they moved him up from, I believe, offensive coordinator. Yes. When they fired Sarkeesian, his yeah. first two full years, they, they were good. I mean, they weren't totaled, you know, top tier elite, great teams, but they, he won double digit games his first two full seasons. Right. Yeah. That That's kind of what I was going to allude to. They did go 10 and three and 11 and three, you know, between 2016 yeah. and 2016 and 17 or 17 and 18. It was 16 yeah, and he, 17. He won double digit games a, a couple of times and then had, I think, kind of one bad year and that's- Right. And really kind of where the, it fell apart for them. Right. And what I kind of read was that was really like those weren't really his players he had recruited. But I mean, he he had been there long enough to recruit those guys. So I don't really know well, that yeah, he buy was, that. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of yes and no. Like, yeah, I get that he's that he's not maybe that he wasn't the head coach when those guys were recruited, but he's not some random dude that they just like he was the he was ta- those were the guys he was picking out as the offensive coordinator to go after. Right. You would think, right. you would hope. Yeah, you would hope I so. Mean, so ultimately, they if they were going to fire him like this, they should have fired him a season after he fell off and didn't win 11 games again. <laughs> like mm-hmm. they just, they kind of let it drag out way too long. So yeah. So he had a bad year and then an okay year and they never, that's when they should have decided. Right. When I say decided, I mean, either fire him and pay out his contract or extend him and show that, hey, you know, this is our guy. We're behind him instead of kind of being on the fence for three years. Because that really, we talked about it last year, it's Pac-10 or Pac-12 preview that their indecisiveness and really it's a perception issue as far as, right, it is. Know, I mean, they came are, out. Are they going to stick with him or not? And that, <laughs> but, that just yeah. kills his recruiting. It does. And they came out, you know, bef- after this season or so. Excuse me. After last season, and we're like, oh, he's our guy. He'll be back. Yada yada yada. And then they fire him two games into the season. So right, uh, it's kind of mind blowing. But clearly, Mike Bone, who by the way took over as athletic director in 2019, he succeeded Lynn Swan. He had been a few places, Cincinnati, others, but ultimately, I, I think this is kind of where 
you know, do I think they can make it back? Ultimately, yes, I think they can, yeah. because seemingly they would have unlimited resources being in a place like yeah. Los Angeles. There's and, no reason they shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. And this guy, he he did uh, at least give himself a chance. He spent $100 million to pull Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma. And what does Riley do? He instantly starts doing work in the transfer portal and the recruiting trail and brings Caleb Williams with him from Oklahoma and so, I mean, we'll see whether they can get back or not. I mean, I, I don't think there really is a question of whether they can get back. I think it's more so just, do you think Lincoln Riley's the guy to do it? And you can come at me if you want to, USC fans, but I'm not so sur- I'm not so sure. Because while we know Lincoln Riley can coach, what we don't know about Lincoln Riley is can he build a program? Because Keyword he took over. There. He took an o- he took over an Oakland. Yes, yes, build. Because... He took over at Oklahoma. They were already a juggernaut in their conference. Okay. They had been the dominant team in that conference for upwards of a decade when he took over. So can he have the same sort of success when he takes over a dumpster fire? I'm not so sure. I don't know. But I know he just spent $17.5 million on a house. So <laughs> so good for him. So he's uh, he's living the lavish life in the you know, the California oceanfront mansion with a hundred million dollars in his pocket. So I don't know, man, ultimately I think USC can get back, but whether they get there, time will tell. What do you think? Uh, I think they will just because they resource wise, they, everything we said about Texas, you'd say the same thing about USC and, and there are in what I think is an easier conference to compete in. So like, I don't know. It blows my mind that USC is not in the playoff every year as the Pac-12 champ. Yeah, it's kind of, uh, they're almost like the Texas of the West Coast. Yeah, like they, they have no excuse. They should have better talent than everyone. They We know they yeah, have more they, money than everyone. <laughs> yeah, they check all the boxes. Like, that. you know, money's not an issue. They're in a recruiting hotbed. Like we talked about it during the season. Uh, it was fairly early on. It's probably maybe a month in where of these, I want to say like, if I remember right, is the five or six players with the shortest Heisman odds, right? By that, I mean, most likely, according to Vegas, the the favorites, like four of them were quarterbacks from Southern California who, who played high school within an hour of USC's campus. And USC had none of them. You know, DJ Uyunglele, Bryce Young, Matt Corral, like all these guys are Southern California. Like Stroud. the talent is yeah. CJ Stroud. The talent is there. You just got to get them. And well, I mean, yeah, and you you go back to the Pete Carroll years. I mean, look at the dudes that they had. Holy right. shit! I mean, just like go down the list: Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, fucking who? Uh, Keith Rivers. Yeah, just just pull up their like you know two thousand three or whatever roster. Yeah, I mean they had freaks of nature every single season. Hall of Famers type for college football. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. wasn't that long ago that they were like the dominant recruiting power? Yeah. And I think they'll recruit better because they're, you know, they're obviously committed to a coach who has a good reputation. Now, if you kind of dig into it and you realize kind of the situation he landed in in Oklahoma and what he did with that, you know, there's a lot of, I don't want to say signs, but you, you can sort of look at how that team performed year to year and say they regressed a little bit each season under him, but they're still very good. And they still won the Big 12, I think like six years in a row. And that was how many was that five with him? Uh, let's see. Now you've got me curious. I'm actually pulling up the history under Lincoln Riley. So they went 12 and 2, 12 and 2, 12 and 2, 9 and 2, 11 and 2. I know the offensive numbers regressed over four seasons, but 
He's kind of been that guy that's made a living off of transfer quarterbacks. You know, that that's yeah. my question. It's like, and here he is again, like he brings in Caleb Williams. You know, can he recruit a guy who's a freshman and develop him right. into an NFL Identify player? Identify a guy, yeah. I mean, that that's really my big question with him. It's like, yeah, you can recruit a guy that's got four or five stars next to his name. Great. But can you develop him? Can you actually- can you make him better? Yeah. Can you make them better? Can you build a program? Because there's a lot more to building a program than just recruiting four and five stars. Like you actually have to develop them. Texas A&M would be a great case in point and Texas as well, because under Mac Brown, his last three, four seasons when they were mediocre and they weren't winning championships, they were still pulling in top recruiting classes, but they weren't developing players anymore. And that was a big sticking point down there with letting him go. And so I, like I say, Time will tell, but uh, I'm I'm optimistic that USC will be very much improved, but can they get to the top of the mountain again? I'm not so sure. I don't know that Lincoln Riley is that guy. Well, I, I think they need to kind of temper their expectations for this year because, you know, the idea that, oh, they're going to, you know, they're going to win 10 or 11 games and, and win their conference and compete for a playoff spot in year one, I think it's a big ask. And I don't know how realistic that is. Now well, going forward, I mean, honestly, I don't know that it's a big ask. I was thinking about this today. I don't know that it's really a big ask because the Pac-12 sucks. Cannot play with them. Cannot win with them. Cannot coach with them. Can't do it. And Oregon just lost their head coach. Washington like doesn't even have a head coach. Like, <laughs> I mean, it, well, they I, do. Just a lot of people never heard of them. But right, I mean, that's no, what that, I'm saying. Like, I'm just saying in in year one, like, don't expect the world now. 2023 and on, they should be and probably will be a favorite to win that conference every year. And they should win that conference every year. Like yeah. 2023, unlike the the rest of this decade, basically, if they don't win the Pac-12, it will be a disappointment and a surprise uh, unless he is just completely in over his head and overrated because he's not, he's not, you know, he didn't land on third base. He, he's got to actually hit the triple. But uh, I just, I don't, I can't think of a good reason they shouldn't dominate that conference because that conference is garbage we couldn't do diddly poo yeah i mean that's ultimately dude like i say even for this year they have no excuse like they have more talent on their team than everyone else in that conference except maybe oregon but now with lincoln riley he's obviously the best coach in that conference and i mean he's got the best quarterback in the conference i just i like it's He's coming there at the perfect time for Lincoln Riley. I'll say that because, yeah, he does have to build the program, but to become the dominant team in the conference really isn't going to take much. Yeah, it's not that long a road. No, it's really not. Like, I mean, one or two seasons, they should be the dominant team in the conference. Yeah. Now, I mean, and you can can argue that building a powerhouse in the Pac-12 is easier than maintaining a Big 12 powerhouse in the SEC after the move. Like, I, I think... I would rather do that. I think I would rather like try to big bring some some Pac-12 team uh, kind of out of the ashes as opposed to take a team that is sort of dominated a, an inferior conference and then move into the SEC. If I were him, yeah, I don't know. Well, I, I'm really interested to see how it goes because I, I think USC, like we've discussed with Miami and Florida State, I think they are another one of those teams where, while it is exhausting because they are like ESPN's darling when they're good, you know, they're overrated every year. They're going to be overrated coming into this season. (laughs) I can tell you right now. Yeah, they will. They'll have them up in the top like 17 or 18 teams and they're not that good. 
Maybe so. I mean, if they're above fifteen, like that's disgraceful. They went four and eight. Last oh, year. I would be, like, I would be shocked if they're not in the preseason top ten. <laughs> <laughs> Man, they fucking better not be. They stink. So I, I don't know. Like I said, I'm optimistic that they can improve, and I do fully expect them to start winning conference championships very soon. But that being said, get into the playoffs. That's that's the real question. Can they get to the playoff and have success? I think they can get to where they are getting to the playoff consistently because, like I say, the rest right. of that conference stinks. So there's no reason that they shouldn't win 11 or 12 games a year. Yeah, my question wouldn't be like, can they win the Pac-12 and make the playoff? My question would be, can Lincoln, Lincoln Riley build a team that goes to the playoff and doesn't get their doors blown off? Yeah, that's right. So if I were him, I really honestly wouldn't be concerned with that. I would concern myself with winning the Pac-12 every year. <laughs> like it just under this current format, I think if he just starts with that, like we're going to win the Pac-12 every year. Like I think that's a good stepping stone to building a program that can compete with the rest of the schools like the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the Georgias. It's going to take them a few years to build up that talent gap, right? Because, I mean, that's ultimately what it is right now. It's a talent gap. They're, they may not have a talent gap on the rest of the Pac-12. I would argue they have as much talent as anybody in that conference. But they don't have anywhere near the caliber of talent of, a, of an Ohio State, you know, or a Clemson or an Alabama or a Georgia. So going to take them a while to get to that national stage. I'd give them four or five seasons, see where he's at give them enough time to have a full cycle of recruiting. And I think if we revisit it, I think we'll be present pleasantly surprised. I don't know. Yeah. I, I will say I like, I like his chances a lot more than I like Nebraska's. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Nebraska has any chance. So, yeah. well, all right. Well, do you have anything on USC? I think we ran a little long here because of our inclusion of Texas on the show. Good Lord. Yeah, we, we kind of did, but um, you know, explaining that, that Texas, should be a lot better than they are was actually probably worth an extra couple of minutes and kind of fun. So <laughs> yeah. it's, a, it's only a shame that Timmy wasn't here to like rain fire on him. That would have been, that would have been a lot more fun. So, all right. Well, in that case, uh, what do we got on the docket for next week, man? What, what's, what's coming next week? So with the, uh, the change in programming tonight, that moves everything up a little bit. So we are going to insert, uh, since spring ball is starting at most programs, uh, either this week or last week, we are going to take a look at a, uh, kind of the, what we're calling the quarterback carousel, um, just because there have been, it seems like dozens of quarterbacks who have transferred from one school to another since the season ended. And frankly, it's kind of hard to keep track of. So we're going to dedicate it really a week is. to it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we've goofed it up. So yeah, I, I did goof that up uh, for you. If we have any Missouri fans that are listeners, I apologize. Yep, I did not. I did not realize that Connor Basilak had transferred. <laughs> so yeah, again, and, we're and human. We make that, mistakes. So yeah. And I would wager we pay more attention to this type of stuff than your average college football fan. So if oh, it's yeah. if if we're losing stuff, I can only imagine what what the casuals and how lost they are. So we're gonna try to get everyone caught up to speed on uh, you know new faces and the new places, and maybe try to identify some uh, some position battles going on in spring practice at a couple of different spots that that maybe dictate if there are more transfers to uh, to keep track of over the summer before we start. Oh, the you know there's previews. gonna be. So <laughs> yeah, you yeah, know there's gonna uh, be. I, I think late April we're gonna see another kind of wave of 
uh, the transfer portal guys. But uh, for now, we're going to try to get caught up to sort of the current landscape with where everyone's at. And we're going to take a look at that next week. All right. Well, that sounds good. I'm pumped up for that. All right. Well, you guys can find us on social media. Uh, we're at South End Zone Pod on uh, Twitter and Instagram. We'd like to thank our corporate sponsors, DraftKings Sportsbook, and also our network, the Pigskin Podcast Network. You guys can check them out. Uh, they've got several individual college football team pods and also tons of NFL pods. They've also got a hockey network, basketball network, pretty much whatever you're into. Uh, you can find it. Just go to the Pigskin Podcast Network website and they'll give you the links to the other ones. So uh, you guys need to check them out and uh, we will be back with you next week with the little quarterback carousel and some spring ball updates. And until then, thank you very much. Have a great day.